The Water Values Podcast, Session 22. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. Thanks for joining me. And thanks yet again to my son, Joey, for providing the intro and outro voiceovers. So stay tuned to the end to hear Joey's outro voiceover and has been the practice for the most recent episodes, the all-important disclaimer. Today's show is the first part in my talk with Ken Mercer of the American Waterworks Association. Today, we discuss the AWWA's rate survey and utility benchmarking survey. Next week, I'll bring you my conversation with Ken concerning the AWWA's state of the water industry survey. This is the perfect opportunity to test out a two-part podcast because you don't need to hear the first to gain a full understanding of the second and vice versa. And I'm pinched for time with a lot of work going on and because we're heading to Glacier National Park with my family this week to celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. Getting back to today's podcast, Ken does a great job explaining what the rate and utility benchmarking surveys are all about and how they can benefit utilities. If you are a utility and you're listening, I strongly encourage you to take part in the surveys. They're open until the end of August, but don't wait that long. Complete them as soon as possible. I was recently on the monthly call of the AWWA Strategic Management Practices Committee, and the importance of the benchmarking survey was brought up. It's not a short survey, so expect to spend some time with it. It was described on the call as, uh, as between a survey monkey and doing your state taxes type of survey. So whatever time you put into the survey, rest assured that the labors of your efforts will be rewarded with the fruit of being able to use the results of the benchmarking survey. This is something I really believe in, and I hope, as we, get, I hope we get as many utilities to participate as possible. So please also tell your fellow utilities about it, and if you're in, an interested ratepayer, urge your utility to participate in the utility benchmarking survey. I'll include a link in the show notes. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Ken, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. Uh, to start off, why don't you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Well, it's a funny story because uh, I graduated high school in 1993 in Wisconsin. And as most people know in the water industry, there's was a big event in Milwaukee. So I grew up, I, I graduated high school from Fond du Lac, which is about an hour away from uh, from Milwaukee. And, uh, and uh, I was starting school uh, at UW-Madison uh, in the fall. Uh, I started school as a chemical engineer um, and at one point became a little disheartened with, uh, with with the direction where that was going and took a little time off and tried to figure out what it is that I wanted to do. Uh, and when I came back, I uh, ended up taking some classes with um, uh, Greg Harrington, who's a civil and environmental engineering professor there, and uh, just really fell in love with uh, water and wastewater treatment. Uh, it was a real knack. It was I hate to say this to, to people who are civil engineers, but it's easy chemical engineering. So, uh, <laughs> um, so, which I'm sure there are those who are chemical engineers. We all know what I'm talking about on that. But uh, um, following, you know, my undergrad, I, I asked um, Greg about, you know, where where should I go? What should I do? And uh, he said, well, you know, I went to grad school at UNC, uh, North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and uh, his professor was um, Phil Singer. So I just completely followed what he had done and, and went down to North Carolina. And uh, if for people who know who Phil Singer is, he's a, you know, one of the stalwarts of our industry. And uh, um, following uh, Phil's, Phil's direction, I ended up – it's funny how everything is connected, how 
one person leads to the next. So Phil, you know, he's got a new, he's got numerous students all over the world. And, uh, I, I he said, where do you want to go work? And so I said, uh, you know, two places, three places. And he's like, all right, well go, go meet these guys when, when you get there. And one of those people that I, I tapped was, uh, Jim Borchert, who is still in Southern California with MWH and, uh, um, just walked into his office and just completely hit it off. And so, um, with a master's degree, started working for MWH at the time. They were just, they just added the H at that point. So they, <laughs> yeah. people were still calling them Montgomery. Uh, so they'll always be uncle Monty to me, but, uh, um, Following that up, you know, worked for a couple of years in the Bay Area, uh, got a lot of experience, a lot of pilot, you know, tr- the, the basics were, uh, you know, water treatment, uh, water resources, that kind of stuff. Um, decided I want to go back for a PhD uh, and and looked around quite a bit. And so ended up at UMass uh, studying under um, John Tobiason. And um, I don't know if, if people are interested in the academic lineage of, of these folks. So um, I took a, took a moment this morning with so Phil Singer's background is, you know, disinfection byproducts and, and water chemistry, water treatment. And he, he kind of comes from the branch of, of Werner Stum, which if people know, <laughs> you're looking at me, like, maybe I'm getting to an area where, where I shouldn't go, but water chemistry, there's the Stum and Morgan, which is this huge, okay. dense book, which everyone has, which very few people actually open, but <laughs> that's, that's his lineage. And so um, that's, that's one half of where I come from. And then, and then John Tobias and his mentor was uh, Charlie O'Melia at uh, – um, oh gosh, I'm gonna draw a blank. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, anyways, he, he comes from Charlie Amelia, and uh, I'm gonna get some ribbing from this from from blanking on the school, but I'm on the spot. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so John John kind of guided me for four years. Um, my background uh, or the, my research topic was um, membrane concentrate treatment. So really getting into like brine chemistry and thermodynamics for some reason really struck it with me at that point. And so I was getting into the fundamentals of why we exist and what, what that is and how that translates into to water treatment. So, um, however, following that, I went back to work, uh, uh with MWH here in, here in Denver, we're, we're sitting in Denver right now. Um, and, uh, worked for them for a couple of years and then an opportunity rose at AWWA and, uh, the markets were in a swirl and my personal life just seemed to steer me towards AWWA and it's been a great fit. Well, great. That well, you know, I I thought I've lived in a lot of places uh, until I heard that story. So, uh, it's great. You've you know you've you've been able to to learn from a lot of different folks in a lot of different places. Uh, what what are you doing now at AWWA? What's your responsibility there? So my main responsibility uh, just came into a new role, and my title is a senior manager of technical and research programs. And so, in large part, uh, my focus is on one of our. Uh, Councils. So AWWA, the American Waterworks Association, we're divided into, um, at least our volunteer structure is divided such that there are several councils that guide um, our activities. And some of those will be like the Water Utility Council, the um, Public Affairs Council, the Standards Council. Uh, the one that I'm focused there, the one that I'm the secretary, secretary for is the Technical and Education Council. And uh, they're mainly responsible for um, developing our technical content. So for the annual conference, for any of our um, Subsequent excuse me, our uh, other conferences, so the water com- water quality technology conference, the utility management conference, the new water infrastructure conference. They basically are, are charged with putting all that uh, technical content together to make sure that uh, the tracks are all together. Uh, in addition, they also do um, a lot of our teleconferences, our workshops and seminars, um, development of manuals and handbooks and other materials. So making sure that those volunteers are really, that they've got the resources that they need and that, that staff is dedicated to where it needs to go. 
that's that's the bulk of what I do right now. And then in addition to that, I also do that. So that's sort of the technical side. And then the research side is the uh, AWWA, AWWA does several um, research projects throughout the year. Uh, we'll probably talk about several of these in a moment, but uh, namely our uh, a water and wastewater uh, rate survey. Uh, we do a state of the water industry survey, and then we also do a utility benchmarking survey. Let's start off by talking about the rate survey. Can you give us the backdrop on the rate survey and how you push it out? So AWWA partnered with uh, Reftelis Financial Consultants, so RFC, uh, in 2004-ish timeframe. Um, prior to that, we'd been doing a, a sort of a financial survey, and RFC had been doing one for uh, for quite a few years. Uh, we combined efforts, and uh, at that point, we started doing a biennial water and wastewater water and wastewater rate survey. So. Um, it focused mainly on the U.S. Uh, have, since then, we've tried to expand and try to get more Canadian and Mexican focused because AWWA's reach is primarily North America. We're international in, in large part, but uh, our primary focus is, is North America, and specifically a lot of that ends up being North America and Canada. Um, so what it was was every two years we'd go out and solicit information from utilities about uh, the rates that they're paying, uh, the rates that they're charging, the different customer classes, um, as well as uh, any fees or, or and then it, to be honest, it actually goes into a lot of really interesting financial information as well. So, um, but it, at the time, it was basically a snapshot of uh, sort of the state of the rates, and uh, in, in large part in the U.S. And uh, since then, we've we've moved on to um, doing an every year kind of survey and try to add in some more functionality in terms of um, what people can do with the data, as opposed to just a straight data dump of here are the rates and uh, make it into more of a. a a tool and really kind of lends itself more towards benchmarking. So well, that sounds like a great survey with a lot of fantastic information. Can you talk a little about some of the questions and some of the information that you're receiving? And you said there was a lot of inf- interesting financial information in there. What um, could you just round that out a little more for us? Sure. So it basically gets down into um, it, it, there's some some information to start where we try to get uh, you know an understanding of what the utility is so how many customers they serve how many connections they have um, how many pi- how many how much material they've got in their system um, and then based on that uh, it really delves down into the specifics of how much people are charging so you know what depending on their rate structure how much are they charging for residential customers and then we provide um, several um, usage levels to try to to try to you know, tease out how much people are are using in terms of what they're being charged on a like per thousand gallon basis, so. Uh, but in addition to that, there's um, you, you can get down into the, what fees people are charging, and then there's also a question about um, utility CIPs, and so we actually get like a five year projection on the utilities who provide that information. So it, it, it's some really good information and stuff that we haven't even really fully leveraged, um, but it's something that we're, we're as a, you know as an organization we're trying to make sure that um, the people who are number one the participants that are uh, are getting the what they're getting out of it, making sure that that's a, as good as it can be, and then you know the residual people who are interested in rates as a topic too, to make sure that the information that they have is what they need. Sure, could you? What are the trends that that information is showing? Um, you know, I don't know if you've kind of looked at, for example, you said you're getting CIP um, information projected out five years. I mean, what have you identified any trends with CIP or or any of the other? kind of raw data you're getting in? Sure. It's funny because specifically on that, um, you, of course, you know, some of the data, is, it, it's hard to say exactly the quality of it because it is self-reported by, uh, by utilities. We don't self-select participants. Um, everyone is, uh, uh, is self-selects themselves to participate in the survey. So the information is voluntary. 
um, and not verified by any means. We, we try to, to stage the actual survey at a time of the year where hopefully the, the information has been, been as vetted as it can be. Um, and so anyways, so we try to make sure that the quality of the information is as good as possible. Um, but going back and even looking at uh, CIPs, um, back for a, going back for the, like the 2012 data set, um, I'd done sort of a, I had done sort of a back-of-the-envelope calculation um, to try to get to that sort of like bury no longer. AWWA had put out a report called Bury No Longer that estimated um, that the state of water and sewer infrastructure, actually specifically for water, was about $1, billion, $1 trillion over the next 25 years. Um, and then just looking at the um, projections for uh, five-year CIPs from the respondents that we got, you could kind of break it down into a per-person basis and then project that out. And it ended up being very close to that. It was about $1 trillion over 20 years for water and then an additional, actually more than $1 trillion for wastewater. So um, if you look at EPA's numbers, they're more around like the 500, 500 billion, <laughs> throwing around billions and trillions, but um, <laughs> I think they're more around the 500 billion, but then they don't include, um, you know, growth projections within that. And uh, they're, they're very specific on their numbers. I think our, our numbers are probably more on the higher end. But uh, just, again, looking at those numbers, it was $1 trillion for water and $1 trillion for wastewater over the next 20, 20 years. So Wow. And and the the Barry No Longer report, that came out a couple of years ago. That came out in, like, 2012, right? 2012, exactly, yeah. yeah. And there's actually a tool that goes along with it now um, where they've tried to expand it where utilities can put in their own information and do their own projections. But at the time, it was one of those things where everyone kept talking about these numbers because, as we'll probably talk about in a moment, the number one issue that comes up again and again through our state of the water industry survey is the state of water and sewer infrastructure. And um, as people are trying to just get a handle on how much that actually is, you know, you can do some of these rough estimates. And, and again, that, that was just a rough estimate based on those numbers um, from the, from it was a 20, it was 2008, 2010, 2012 data sets. Sure. Just, just curious to kind of, I don't want to say test the the data you're getting, but how many how many respondents are you getting to these to the for example to the rate survey? So we usually get around uh, our goal is around 500, um, and so that that includes water, utilities who provide water only, those who provide wastewater only, and then the bulk of them are actually combined utilities who provide both water and wastewater services. So 500 um, is our goal. Uh, you know, we usually get somewhere around between 350, 450, somewhere around there. So it's a pretty large data set. Um, and you can try to ascribe some statistical significance to that. Um, there's a lot of hand waving that goes along with that because it's not, you know, it's not that kind of survey just you know, per se. But uh, but the results are pretty interesting, and and I think that they, you know, when you get to a data, when you get to a population of about even greater than 100, but when you're pushing 500, you've got a pretty good data set. So, well, I've got a bunch of questions. Um, what did the most recent survey indicate about water pricing? Is is full cost pricing becoming more accepted? And and because we talked about the capital improvement plans, what are folks or utility managers, managers thinking about how um, rates relate to capital improvement plans? I mean, are these are these capital improvement plans realistic? Are they thinking they're actually going to get the rates to help pay for those capital improvement plans? Sure. I mean, in terms of uh, the data is going to be good, obviously, the more near term it is. And so the longer those projections are, the more wish list or, or speculation is going to be involved in them. But, uh, um, you know, that's one of the things that we, we try to tie is, is making sure that when you mentioned full cost pricing, so making sure that rates and fees totally addressed, you know, the cost of operations and then that, that making sure that that includes um, renewal and replacement. And I think that's an area where some utilities have neglected that over time. Um, obviously, there are very good examples of utilities who 
you know, are covering their costs in a full cost price uh, scenario. But uh, um, historically, I think when you look back, back you see um, utilities, maybe a few utilities, probably several utilities who have not um, fully uh, reinvested their money to make sure that their systems are in the state that they who would hope that they would be. So um, I, I wouldn't speak for any you know utility in particular, but uh, probably the biggest connection is in many, going back to the water and wastewater rate survey, you know, rates are for the most part going up. You'll see a couple, maybe a few spotty examples where they actually do go down, but for the, for the most part and, and in large part, uh, they are just continuing to rise and, and will continue to rise because um, you know, water demand is increasing uh, and water supplies are, are not. So um, as people try to tie, you know, the rates that they're, they're charging the customers uh, and the different customer classes to make sure that those are equitable, um, just making sure that that, that uh, meets the goals that they're looking for. And it's interesting when you get into to water and wastewater rates because, you know, these are long-term assets. They're in the ground for 50 years at a minimum, usually more than, in some cases, more than 100. And so they're financed for the first 30 years by the, you know, by the community at that point who's using it. And then you, you can start getting, getting into like intergenerational equity sort of issues about who's paying for what and how, how is that spread out over the lifetime of the asset. And you really start getting into, I think, where our industry is going to go is you know, more, more focus on asset management and making sure that those costs are equitably distributed, you know, throughout the lifetime of the asset. Mm-hmm. Well, could you talk a little about the, the rate survey and, you know, what percentage of the respondents are coming from, say, a municipal or quasi-governmental type of utility, and what what percentage are coming from the investor-owned side, and how how are the rates different between those two, I'll just say those two categories of utility? I, I think our response rate is, is pretty similar to what you see within the U.S., about 10% are about private, uh, about 90% are uh, public. Um, I don't know that you can go through. We have not done a study where we've gone through and tried to tease out um, differences between public and private rates. Um, you know, private rates are, are set pretty strictly by the boards that govern those or the, whatever the structure is with that. And, uh, I don't know that they're, they're going to be that significantly different um, when you add in that profit margin on top of that. But um, certainly when you get into, uh, you know, looking at what, what drives rates, it's, it's so unique. And you really get into not only just the financial and the engineering aspects of it, you can start getting into those political aspects. And once you've got that involved, you know, all bets are off as to what's really driving the rates. So right. um, it, it's hard to sometimes, it, it, and we'll talk about this probably when we talk about benchmarking, but comparing utilities, it, you can't just, it's not a straight apples to apples comparison. There are so many differences that go into, it, there's, each one is so unique. It's just like comparing people. You know, we can talk about our body mass index or our <laughs> blood pressure, and you can look at these few stats that will sort of gauge how, what our health is. But when you really want to understand the health of that utility or the health of that person, you really need to, to do some investigation that goes beyond just a couple of simple, simple benchmarks. Yeah, I agree completely with that. Um, Given that you haven't been able to, to separate the uh, municipal and the the investor owns uh, in terms of rates, you know what are you seeing as the cost drivers of of rates? And I know the political angle is is something that you is hard to quantify, uh, but what you know what are re- utilities reporting as their cost drivers? It, it really spans the gamut of, of issues. You know, if you've, you've got some, some issues where, you know, water resources are scarce and people are looking for new supplies, and so they're investing a lot in that front. Um, you've got well-established systems, 
take a look at the Northeast where they've got, you know, pipe systems that are 50 plus years in some cases, way over 100 years. There are the systems who are looking at reinvesting and, you know, putting in new pipes in the ground. Um, there's always the aspects of new regulations and how much that's driving it. I, I think the trends on that we're seeing is that it's not a huge driver at the moment. Um, apologies to anyone in AWWA's DC office who might say, <laughs> no, no, that's wrong. But um, I, I think overall regulations right now are, you know, obviously there are going to be some communities, you know, someone who's facing an arsenic issue or if you're facing a DBP issue, disinfection byproducts, you know, if you've got high levels of disinfection byproducts, you know, you're going to be facing some issues that are regulatory driven. But for the most part, it's, it's really uh, an issue and it, issue of uh, asset management that seems to be driving it. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's kind of shift gears and move into the utility benchmarking survey, because uh, this is something that I think um, is a very good tool to kind of measure how, how the utility is doing, what areas you need to improve in, things of that nature. But can you talk a little, just describe the survey first off, um, you know, in terms of like metrics tracked and things of that nature, and then uh, we can take it from there. Sure. So we really started doing our uh, putting a lot of emphasis on uh, utility benchmarking. So it's, it's a performance benchmarking um, system that has uh, sort of evolved. AWWA got into that about the mid '90s, and in large part, we did um, it was a lot of uh, research projects with the at that time AWWA Research Foundation, now Water Research Foundation, um, and over over time. Um, what, what that has evolved into is a selection of about 40 to 50 performance indicators that are really geared towards water and wastewater utilities. So providing them the framework where they can, you know, look at themselves year over year to establish trends and then also to try to find similar utilities or utilities with similar attributes where you could compare yourself to them and try to find out best practices. So, um, it's been an evolutionary process and it's, it's, one thing that's super nice about that program is it's really easy to get into it because it's all about continuous improvement and really just providing a, that framework for utilities to say, um, this is where we stand and we would like to go there. We'd like to improve you know, this much. Or you can also use it as a framework to say, we are in good standing with regards to that. And we don't need to invest you know, some of our scarce resources to try and improve that because we're already in the top 75th percentile. So, Sure. Uh, do you know, do you have any feel for how utilities um, kind of, you know, we talked earlier about how it's really not apples to apples. You know, there are so many different unique characteristics, but how do utilities go and determine what kind of peer group um, they best align with so that they can, they can get kind of a better read on where they truly stand in terms of the, some of these metrics? First, the first cut is usually on size. So the, either the pop, going down to population, so the number of counts you have, if you can establish what your actual population is. Um, another one of estimating size would be how many miles of pipe you have, um, and then just production rate. So once you've got, you, you can basically break down into large utilities, smaller utilities. Once you've got that figured out, um, regionaliz regionalization or regional um, utility benchmarking is also a really good one because everyone's under the same regulatory framework. So every utility within Colorado or every utility in Arkansas, um, it's a good framework for them to get together. And then a lot of times they'll have similar water quality issues because they are you know, within the same region. So um, a lot of their costs would, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but there, there's the potential for having similar costs because you, you're, if you're dealing with similar water issues. So, hmm. uh, What are some of the specific metrics that, that people are finding most um, important and and most worthy of, of kind of tracking? 
Sure. So we, we've broken, we break down um, the metrics into five large areas. There's organizational development, uh, business operations, customer service, and then water operations and wastewater operations. And I don't know that there's one uh, individual performance indicator that just speaks to everyone. It, it's really a matter of taste for whatever the utility is looking for, whatever their issues are. Usually there's some reason that's driv driving them to get into exploring benchmarking as a way for, uh, for improving. I don't know how, how often it is that they just say, wow, we just like to get better without any impetus on it. <laughs> um, I'm sure there are, I, I, in fact, I know there are several who do that, but for the most part, I think there's usually a driver. And so people will focus in on whether it's uh, you know, some sort of best practice that they need to, to, to winnow down on or some sort of business operation that they need to. Um, I, I guess if you wanted to talk about just trends that we've seen for one interesting thing, um, a lot of the, the data, so we usually get, or typically in the last two years, we've gotten about 100 utilities, just over 100 utilities responding. So it's a smaller um, population than our water and wastewater rate survey. Um, but we do uh, withhold that information. The water and wastewater rate survey, we actually publish all of the information versus benchmarking. Uh, we don't provide specific utilities information. We just provide it in the aggregate. Um, but one thing we have observed over time is, is with regards to reserves, cash reserves, uh, the amount of money that utilities are keeping on hand. Uh, if you look back through the trends for three years, that's one that's really interesting because you can just see it just going up, up, up as a, as a response probably to the economic downturn where maybe utilities looked at themselves and said, we are maybe not capable of getting through this. We need to increase our reserves. So that's one, just one specific example where if you look through the trends, you'll see over time, people have been increasing their reserves at least relatively dramatically over the last three or four years. That seems to indicate that rate increases are getting pushed through and that we're uh, getting closer to the full cost of water. Under each of these five categories that you've identified, what are some of the specific metrics um, that you think are the most useful uh, under those categories? Um, in organizational development, a lot of that is, uh, well, it's really geared towards how utility employees are being you know, trained or um, their employee turnover is one. So there's retirement eligibility. So it's a number of um, employees who are eligible for retirement, however the utility might define that. Um, and that's a good one to track because if you're in an area where you're expecting a sudden turnover, you know, a huge brain drain, um, you'd like to know that. So if you're way out of skew in terms of how you're using that data, if you're way low um, or high, as, as the case may be, if it seems like you're going to get a big flux of, of turnover, that's, that's a good one. Um, training hours, um, just looking at the data, I, I, I know that the typical amount of training that a utility employee receives is about 20 hours per year. So um, you know, it's that kind of stuff where you can go and say, oh, 25th percentile, the number of training hours we're getting is about 10 and the, the way I would encourage utilities to use that data is to, what, we, what the framework that AWW provides is um, we provide the 25th percentile, the median, and the 75th percentile. And so a lot of times, let's just say the 25th percentile is bad. So you, it's low <laughs> because it's, it's bad, and the 75th percentile is good. Um, as long as you are able, as a utility, to justify your position when, within that, that scheme. So if you're right on the median, you know you can say, hey, we're, we're right in the middle. You know, that's that's maybe really great for some utilities. Some utilities may say that's not good enough. We need to be in the 75th percentile. Um, it's really when you get into that below the 25th percentile or into that area where it's a red flag, uh, utilities then can look at that. And there may, be, there may be a very valid reason why they are low in some area. I mean, there, there may be some political reason, something that's completely outside of their control that somehow whatever it is that's driving it makes your number skew low. 
as long as you understand that and you can justify that to your board or your customers or whoever, whoever it is you want to communicate with, that's really the, the basis for it. It's number one, being, making sure that you understand where you are and that you can communicate that to, to other people. The next step would be, well, now we know where we are. How do, how do we want to establish where we want to go? And, or do we even want to go somewhere? Are we good or are we, uh, are we, are we, you know, is this something where we absolutely need to improve on? And so that's how utilities probably should use the benchmarking. It's not really a beauty contest because everyone, every utility is going to have warts. Yeah. Uh, there's some, something that's driving, that's driving it for you as to whatever it is, whatever it is uh, your performance indicator is saying, there's a story behind it and you don't always get that from the numbers. So just as a note of caution for anyone who's using uh, benchmarking data, you know, it's really the, the best use is internal tracking, just year over year, making sure that you look good, you know, you can understand what your own trends are. And then once you've got that, you can start looking for other partners to, to look at. But um, going back to, to other, other performance indicators that we see that are really important, um, uh, debt ratio for business operations, um, cash reserves, we, we spoke about that a little bit. Um, in terms of customer service, we, we've kind of expanded um, how we track um, call center information. So that's a new one in the last couple of years that we've tried to improve on. Um, and then just in terms of uh, water operations and wastewater operations, um, a lot of that's just normalized to the size of the utility. So how much uh, O&M costs on a million gallon, on a per million gallon basis in terms of how much production the, the plant's doing or how many do that again uh, in terms of O&M costs per 100 miles of pipe. Um, mm -hmm. some, some pretty specific indicators, but it, it's one of those things where you can kind of use it as a first cut to really get down and, and number – First of all, establish performance, but then, again, trying to, to find some people who are in a similar boat to you and say, why is it you are performing like you are? And then try to find those best performers to say, how can we emulate your, your performance? I'm curious about the trends in terms of the utilities participating in the benchmarking survey. You said there were about 100 respondents. Is that number increasing? Are more and more utilities starting to respond to the benchmarking survey? Right. So... Over the last, I, I came on board on, on that program a couple of years ago, and I think at that point, um, we were trying. I think the association was still trying to figure out who was using it and, and to what what respect that that information was being used. So there was sort of like this tight click of about ninety utilities who were using it year after year. We weren't promoting it very well, and uh, since I've come on board, one of the, the drivers I've or one of the missions I've been given is to try to expand that that population. So. We're trying to get it to a similar, a similar um, group size in terms of uh, somewhere around 300 to 500 in the, in the same vein as the water and wastewater rate survey. Um, so just trying to put more effort. And a lot of that's just helping people recognize that, hey, AWWA has been doing this for a long time uh, and that we're, we're putting more energy into it. So we've actually just hired a, a dedicated engineer who uh, half our time is spent specifically on the benchmarking program. So. Um, and we've also engaged with a um, with our volunteers, which are really the lifeblood of AWWA, and um, it's basically a uh, benchmarking advisory group. And they will be vetting the questions now. Prior to that, we we didn't have a, a ton of um, a lot of the the survey had been developed through um, partnerships with the Research Foundation, and now we're going to have a specific group who's looking at a year over year and trying to discern discern if we need to establish some best performance uh, criteria along with things and. It's, it's nice to have a, a volunteer backdrop to, to vet every idea that we throw forward. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully you, you do get more utilities participating in this because I think that can only help improve uh, utility performance over time. And so 
um, for those for those who are in utilities, if you're not participating in the AWWA's benchmarking survey, get get on that. And you can uh, do that by just going to our website. If you just type in benchmarking, it'll it'll pop up. Actually, the survey uh, is open right now. Uh, and okay. it's the same for the water and wastewater survey. I think they both close towards the end of August. So okay. uh, I would encourage utilities to, to just go to our website, download the survey. Whether or not you submit the data, that's really up to you. Just going through the effort of filling out both both surveys, you'll you'll uh, there's there's upside for just even just doing that. But again, I would highly encourage submission of your results. Well, lots of great information by Ken Mercer in that part of the interview. And make sure you come back for round two when Ken talks about the AWWA's State of the Water Industry Survey next week. He was very generous with his time. So here are my key takeaways. First, and this one's obvious, rates are going up. There's no surprises there. Another takeaway is the expanse of the capital improvement plans and programs that utilities are preparing. Those CIPs show significant capital needs, and that just obviously ties up with, uh, with rates going up. And my final takeaway is just the immense value that utilities can get from the utility benchmarking survey. By comparing your utility to a peer group, your utility can gain an understanding of what it's doing well and where it needs to improve and really focus in on those areas where improvement is needed. So again, I'll urge all util- utilities out there to participate in the utility benchmarking survey. And again, I'll include... Uh, a link to the survey in the show notes. Well, you can check the show notes out for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 22. And please don't be bashful in letting me know what interested you about the interview by leaving a comment on the show notes or by emailing me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.